Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by Love to shop and eat? With a dozen food stands and even more local vendors, there's always something fresh, friendly, and fun at the Markets at Hanover. For hours and events, visit marketsathanover.com. Welcome to Why Do Catholics, the podcast from Catholics that talks about what Catholics believe. My name is Rachel Bryson, and I'm your host. Well, welcome back to Why Do Catholics, a podcast for the Diocese of Harrisburg. And we are continuing our series on the Mass. So I'm joined again by Father Joshua Cavender. Welcome back, Father. It's always good to be here. And I know our, our second episode, we talked about the introductory rites, which is about the first 15-ish minutes of the Mass. And so now we're transitioning to the liturgy of the word, which takes, I'd say, oh, maybe that's the next, you know, 20, 25-ish minutes out of the Mass. And it starts with our readings. So can you kind of walk us through the liturgy of the word and and all the the steps and the processes that happened? Absolutely. The liturgy of the word, uh, so we have this setup of readings. The priest doesn't doesn't sit in his office throughout the week and just figure out what readings he wants to do, uh, you know, on Sunday. If you go to any church on a given Sunday throughout the world, the language might change, but the same readings are being read throughout the entire world. Uh, we get them from a book called the Lectionary, and there is a a three year cycle for our Sunday readings, and there is a two year cycle uh, for our weekday readings. Mm-hmm. So all of these readings are from Scripture, and they're laid out in this either two- or three-year cycle, depending on if you're going to daily Mass or going to a you know, Sunday Mass. The Church has organized them with an order and a reason. They're not just, you know, they didn't just kind of play a lottery machine and just start picking out readings and like, ah, let's put this one here and that one there. And No, there's an ordering and a reason to it. For most of the year, uh, with the exception of like that, the Masses, uh, the Sundays, like right after Easter, Mm-hmm. Uh, where our first reading is from Acts of the Apostles. But but for most of the year, our first reading is from the Old Testament. We have this this story of Israel, this time whether, you know, from, from Genesis all the way up to Maccabees. One of, I, I love the, the words of, of Bishop Robert Barron, back when he was, uh, you know, Father Robert Barron, and he, and he said this line, Know the story of Israel. Know what God is doing in the history of Israel. Because God chose them as, as the stiff-necked people, as the people that if the Jewish people could believe in God, then, then he was prepare, using them to prepare for the rest of the world, namely us. He was mm-hmm. using them to prepare the world for Jesus Christ. So if that's God's saving action, this is like the buildup to Jesus Christ. We need to get to know the Old Testament. We need to get to know what God is doing in the Old Testament so that we can understand what actually happened when Jesus showed up. The first reading then is is almost always from the Old Testament. Then we go to a responsory psalm. And the psalms hold a very special place in, in the Old Testament. They were used in, in the Jewish liturgical uh, life. They were used, they've been used in the liturgical life of the church since the, you know, the time of Christ. Christ would have known the Psalms. He would have sang the songs. 
But the Psalms are not just this, you know, Jewish poetry from different parts of history. The Psalms are this song of poetic love between God and his people. And so whether that is is David being chased by Saul and 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 in this moment of distress when all all things seem to be in despair and he's crying out to God for help. Whether that's the joy of the one of these psalms praising God from the depths of the heart. You know. And and so the psalms being inspired by God but written in a human language, the psalmist is being being assisted by God mm-hmm. in proclaiming or begging for that love and mercy of God or, or in proclaiming his, his glory. So God is assisting us in our prayer back to him. So these psalms have become this really the song of the church. So it's not just kind of, you know, uh, you hear the same verse with the same tune, just different words, uh, and then and then we hear this kind of the the um, the lines of the psalm just kind of roll by that nobody really remembers. No, take a moment to actually read the psalms. You know, uh, you know, think of that. Oh God, you are my God. For you I long. For you my soul is thirsting. My body pines for you like a dry, uh, weary land uh, without water. That longing for God written in the Psalms, if we get to know that love song, we get to enter more deeply into our relationship with God. So that breaks up, this, this love song breaks up the Old Testament reading, the first reading, and the New Testament reading, the second reading. So many times we'll hear from, you know, sometimes the Acts of the Apostles, but uh, other, mo- most times it's uh, a letter to, uh, of St. Paul to insert early church community mm-hmm. here. Uh, you know, uh, a letter from, from you know, St. Peter, St. James, you know, uh, the book of Revelation, any of these New Testament books, uh, minus the Gospels, of course. And, and so the Old Testament is the build-up to Christ, and then the New Testament reading is about what Christ did in the early church, mm-hmm. how the people of God have been changed and how they're going out and changing the world and what are the norms that we should be living by you know understanding what saint paul's talking about in in how we should be living our lives as christians as catholics as followers of christ we have this uh this old testament what happened leading up to christ what happened after christ then that leaves of course the life of christ himself and that's what we would is covered in the gospel. We get those from one of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And, and so in preparation for the, for the, uh, the gospel, we have the, the gospel acclamation, commonly just referred to as the Alleluia, which gets uh, awkward to say during Lent when we sing one of the other gospel acclamations. So, but, you know, everybody knows what we're talking about uh, if you've been to, you know, Sunday Mass. So, and, and, and the Alleluia is about this glorious proclamation in, in the, that Christ himself came into the world. So to show that honor to Christ, we don't just sit for the reading, for the, for the proclamation of the gospel. We stand for the proclamation of the gospel to show that love and reverence to Christ. That doesn't mean that Christ isn't acting in the New Testament or that he wasn't acting in the preparation for himself in the Old Testament. If you're talking about 
you know, somebody. You don't stand in the room whenever you talk about them in honor. But when a person walks into the room to honor that person, people stand and greet them. So there's this, uh, this reality of reverence that we're showing to Christ by standing mm-hmm. for the gospel. And like, how did Christ actually live those 33 years, really condensed down to just the, mostly the, the three years of his public ministry? So we hear something about his public life. Now, there is some interplay within the readings themselves. Many times the, on, on the Sundays, uh, the Old Testament reading and the Gospel reading will correspond with each other. Uh, sometimes all three readings correspond to each other, but there is an, an interplay there. And the church is trying to, uh, in presenting these readings, bring out certain spiritual points. So that leads us to the homily that in the years of formation and praying with these scriptures, the priest or the deacon or, you know, the bishop, of course, uh, looks at these readings and says, you know, I, you know, I didn't just pick these readings, like the church handed them to mm-hmm. me. So, so what is the church trying to teach? What is, what is Christ working through the church trying to say to his people through these readings? So what the priest should be doing, or uh, the deacon, or the, the homilist, you know, and, 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 and let me back up for just a second. You know, the, the, it's not just about teaching. This is an act of shepherding. This is, this is, so it's, it's under the guidance of the Holy Spirit that, that the homily is, is written. Not, you know, this isn't the like, same authority that, you know, under the guidance of the Spirit, this council proclaims this to be true. No, uh, you know, but... but this, it's an act of that that God has placed this deacon, priest, or bishop in this community to help to shepherd it. So, getting close to God and understanding what these readings are saying is really important in order to assist God in shepherding these people that are before Him. Mm. So, so that's why it's not just about. Uh, anybody could teach on this subject. I'm sure there's many scripture professors that are much more knowledgeable, but they're not called to give that homily. It's about the spiritual duty that that person of holy orders has been called to, exercising an act of of shepherding, of teaching, from that uh, relationship and authority with God. Now, but the priest or, or, or the deacon or the bishop, they don't necessarily get cliff notes, so to speak, for the homily. Uh, it's, it's really coming from their heart as far as how, again, through the Holy Spirit, what mm-hmm. they're seeing as the message that needs to be provided to their individual parish. So, no, there's, uh, well, not really, no. Uh, there's there's not like a homilies are us uh, to, uh, it's like a build a homily workshop. <laughs> but Bishop Gaynor gave me a really good piece of advice. And it was when I was about to be ordained as a deacon, I was with him in the sacristy at a, a confirmation. I said, Bishop, I've, I've enjoyed your homilies. What, could, what can you tell a, a very soon-to-be homilist uh, per the letter that you sent me that I'll be ordained as a deacon? What advice could, could you give me? And he kind of just paused for a moment and just said, bring everything to prayer. Get all your resources. Do your studying. Absolutely. But get on your knees in front of Jesus Christ and pray. And then simply write the homily from the fruit of your prayer. So in, in my preparation for a homily, you know, I like to kind of digest the readings for a little while. And I, I do have to say it's one of the greatest pieces of advice I've ever been given. Uh, so thank you, Bishop Gaynor, for that one. To, to take everything and just bring it together into a holy hour, uh, just 
time in front of Christ and say, okay, what is the spiritual fruit of this? And then simply hand that to the people of God in a homily. Mm -hmm. So what has Christ taught me about this? How has Christ fathered me through these readings and shepherded me through these readings? Because then I can simply turn around and say, well, if this is how Christ is shepherding me, I can hand this to the people of God to shepherd them. Uh, So the homily is then about this passing on the teaching and the shepherding of Christ. Sometimes there can be mistakes in homilies. There can be stuff like that. It's not like this is uh, Christ authoritatively speaking, uh, like with the full magisterium of the church, like you would declare in a council. But but there's a spiritual lesson that the, the homilist is trying to bring out to, to prompt us to deeper faith and to shepherd us in our lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and... You know, like everybody, there's there can be errors, mistakes, and quirks, and uh, you can have good days and bad days, and nonetheless, the homily is the homilist trying to bring Christ into that moment of shepherding, in that moment of addressing his people. So then after the homily, and the priest is, like you said, shepherding the Lord's people, then we get to the profession of faith. What is that? Because I know this might be one part of the Mass where... It's kind of, as Catholics, you, you you know the words, but maybe you haven't really thought about it, and it mm-hmm. becomes a routine. You just, you stand up, you say the words, and you go on about your business. So why is this an important part of the Mass? You know, the Creed, it's one of the incredibly old prayer. So, uh, and actually not just an old prayer, it's an old declaration of the Church. It comes all the way from the Council of Nicaea in, you know, was it 325, I believe. You know, we have these different creeds, in order to have, you know, under the wisdom of the church, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, to have this succinct profession of our faith in Christ and in, 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 in God and in his church. You know, at our baptism, we go through our baptismal promises, rejecting of Satan, and then this profession of faith. And at the end of that profession of faith, the priest or deacon will say, this is our faith. This is the faith of the church, and we are proud to profess it in Christ Jesus our Lord. That our faith is not something that, that we make up. It's not something that we have decided to get together as a group of people and just say, well, hey, we want to believe this about Christ. Well, that's great, but is that actually what Christ did? It's really important to actually know what Christ did and to believe in the actual Jesus Christ. 2,000 years removed from Christ, it's really easy to have a, a misconception of who Christ is and what he did in the world. At the Council of Nicaea, as the church was growing and started to have conversations, well, like, well, well, I don't believe that about Christ. Well, I believe this about Christ. I believe this about God. I believe this, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And there was all this confusion. So the church got together at the Council of Nicaea, the bishops of the church, using the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the authority that Christ handed to the church and said, all right, this is what we believe. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. That sounded a little bit more Greek back then because that's what they were speaking. But <laughs> yeah, uh, that's we profess the creed written by the Council of Nicaea because that is the creed that has been professed in the church for over 1,700 years. To say we are one people believing in God, and this is the God that we believe in, and this is the God that we've believed in, for 2,000 years, because this is our faith, and we are proud to profess it in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So it is our act of unity, our act of faith, in the faith that has been handed to us by profess standing and professing in unity 
what we believe in like this short little summary. Okay, nice, nice. Uh, and then, so kind of the, the end of the liturgy of, of the word section of the Mass, we wrap it up with prayer of the faithful or general intercessions. I know there's a couple different names. Oh, yes, for, the, for the this. universal prayer comes <laughs> out. You know, they all mean the same thing, and they're addressed uh, basically the same way. As uh, the church intercedes for the world, we're not just people from the world getting pulled out to be with God. We're also called to intercede back for the world, to be other Christs. Well, Christ is interceding for the world, so we have to go and intercede for the world with him. So what we do in this prayer of the church, this prayer of the the greatest prayer we have to offer when heaven and earth meet, we bring the petitions of the world, of our community, of our church, of the people in need, we bring those before Christ and offer them to Christ in intercession. It's good to pray for those who are in need. It's good to pray for those who have died, for the the Pope, the bishops, the clergy, the people of God, the faithful of God, these people that are suffering in this way, people from suffering in this disaster, and even in thanksgiving. Thanksgiving for all the gifts that God has given to us. I mean, Eucharist literally means thanksgiving, so it's good to include those as well. Uh, This is the church interceding to Christ in this great prayer of faith. Jesus, this is what we believe about you in the creed, and these are the prayers because we recognize who you are as God and how you have sent us into the world. We ask for these intercessions that you may come into these people's lives and bring your grace, love, and mercy. Well, thank you, Father. This has definitely been uh, insightful as to the liturgy of the word section of the Mass. I think we're going to wrap it up here, and then uh, I know you'll be back with us for our next episode where we'll be talking about um, the, the preparation for, for the Eucharist. Uh, so you are listening to Why Do Catholics, a podcast for the Diocese of Harrisburg. I hope you'll join us next time. <laughs>